From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I am a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at Family Research Council, and it's my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today. So grateful that you have decided to spend some time with us. I want to remind you that you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com on demand. Today on the program, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra had some testy exchanges with members of Congress this week over sex changes and partial birth abortion. We'll tell you what happened. Also, just two short years ago, an organization had their ads removed for saying Joe Biden supports sex change operations for children. Well, Joe Biden's press secretary is now saying the same thing. We'll tell you more about it later in the program. In addition, a tragic story out of Washington, D.C. about an abortion doctor that may be committing infanticide. But the authorities don't seem interested in finding out. And in our worldview conversation, is it wrong to sing worship music at a political rally? We'll have a conversation about when politics become idolatry in our worldview segment. But our top story of the day... As the Russian invasion of Ukraine concludes its sixth week, many are assessing that Putin's objectives have changed. Putin thought that he could very rapidly take over uh, the, the country of Ukraine, very rapidly ca- uh, capture the, the, the capital city. He was wrong, and he was wrong in part because he made a, a number of bad assumptions, but also in part because of the stiffness of uh, resistance that, that he uh, he encountered. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Putin has probably has given up on that uh, on his efforts to capture the capital city he is now focused on the south and east of the country. And that was Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. What does this mean for the region moving forward, as well as the role of international support for Ukraine? Joining me now to discuss this is FRC's executive vice president, founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force and former deputy undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, General Jerry Boykin. General, good to see you. Good to be with you. Tell us, what's your reaction to Secretary Austin's comments there that he thinks Putin has given up on Kiev? Well, I think he's right. I think that uh, his intelligence has given him that same information, that uh, he has shifted his strategy. Uh, I think he's uh, clearly going back to the east, to the Donbass region, uh, and and obviously, because of the ethnic Russians in that area, he wants to control that area. But he also wants that land bridge that would uh, allow him to uh, have an overland route all the way down into uh, probably as far as Odessa. So he has clearly changed his strategy, and Lloyd Austin is correct. Now, since... Putin has changed his strategy. Why? What's the primary reason why their initial objectives have not been accomplished? This has been a war of miscalculations. He miscalculated how the Europeans would react. He miscalculated how NATO would react. And he certainly miscalculated the tenacity of the Ukrainian people and their willingness to defend their homeland. And then finally, he underestimated or overestimated, I should say, 
the uh, the readiness of his military. His military has been an abysmal failure. So what he expected to be a three or four day campaign to establish a public government in Kiev uh, has not turned out that way. Now they're in a prolonged fight and uh, he was not prepared for that. That's why his logistics are failing is because they didn't plan for this long a battle. And uh, I think now that he, he, he realizes that his military is, is not doing well. That's why he's trying to bring in conscripts from uh, Chechnya, from uh, parts of Africa, from Syria. Uh, and, and they are, in fact, I think they are uh, part of the problem with uh, these uh, targeting civilians. Now, General, if Putin was not prepared for a very clear goal that he had months to prepare for, if his objectives are now changing, is there any real chance that he's going to be prepared for those? Well, I think he's what he's doing is simplifying his whole uh, strategy now. He What he did initially when he crossed the border was he was executing one of the most complex uh, military strategies you can have, and that is uh, uh, approaching on four different axes. And normally you have one or two with maybe one being your primary and one being sort of a feint to make your enemy think that's your primary assault. But he came in on four axes, trying to command and control that, trying to provide logistics and intelligence and communications to something that complicated uh, with, uh, with the limited resources that uh, he actually had there. Uh, in terms of air power, especially, uh, he, he overreached, and now he has uh, he's paid a dear price for it in the blood of his soldiers. As his objectives change, uh, do you think these objectives, his stated objectives, are changing in an effort mostly to save face at home so he can still try to claim some kind of victory, or is this still fundamental to his, uh, his initial efforts? I think it's some of both, but uh, you, you hit on a very good point. I think at this at this point, he realizes that he has lost. He's lost the confidence of the Russian people. He's lost credibility with the rest of the world. He he certainly has lost uh, any standing he has with his military. So I think that yes, he's trying to stay in power. Uh, but I tell you this. Uh, Odds are that he will not be able to. I've talked to some experts, some analysts that tell me that it is highly unlikely that when this is resolved, that he will be able to remain in power. And tell me more about that. What do you think is the path to Putin being removed? Is this uh, does he resign and, and try to get asylum someplace? Does he is he taken out by a coup? What do you think the path to Putin's removal is? I think there are a couple of paths here. One of one is that keep in mind he has taken on the oligarchs. He has been critical of the oligarchs. Well, those are those are very very wealthy, influential men, and they may take him out, uh, either force him to resign, or they worse yet, depending on how you look at it, they may just take him out physically. They may kill him, and that is not inconceivable. But that said, I think the Russian people are going to rise up against him, too. I think there's going to be a lot of frustrations uh, among the Russian people. There already are because of the number of young Russian men that are being sent home in body bags. And now if you look at what they're doing, there are reports that he's starting to cremate their bodies just so they don't have to ship them home in body bags. Uh, and, and I think that's part of trying to conceal the real number of casualties that they have taken. And even Putin has admitted 
that they have taken heavy casualties. Well, that means obviously they have taken enormous casualties in the tens of thousands at this point, probably. Uh, so he is in trouble no matter what happens from this point on. Does Putin's change in strategy give us any sense of when this conflict might be over? Keep in mind that he has withdrawn his troops from the Kiev area and uh, what what we would call that is a sort of a tactical stand down. Uh, and what he's doing is he's he's rearming, uh, refitting and and trying to get them ready for the next battle, which obviously will be in the east. So I don't think that he I, I mean, I hope that the Russians uh have learned something from this in terms of how the world is looking at them right now with the targeting of civilians. But in terms of their actual tactics, I'm not sure that they've learned much from this. I think that uh, they probably have made a a lot of excuses for why they have been such a failure. But I'll tell you, if he uses the same tactics that he has up to this point, uh, the same thing is going to happen when he, when he moves his forces into the East, into the Donbass region there. Now, the world continues to react to this. Uh, The United Nations removed Russia from its seat on the Human Rights Council yesterday. What implications, if any, do you think that has on the situation? Well, suspending them from the Human Rights Council, I think, was a big, big thing, because what that is saying is that it's not only the the, uh, Europeans are united, but the rest of the world is united against them. You know, there were like, what, 27 countries that voted against it, but then there were over 90 that voted for it. You stop and think about that. When in the United Nations history, when have you ever had that many nations vote unanimously for something that obviously is controversial? So I think that what that shows is that the world is united against Putin right now and and is supporting the Ukrainians. Now, you published a column in Newsweek today saying that Putin should be prosecuted for war crimes. Tell us why you've reached that conclusion and what that would mean to prosecute them. You think about how we're watching this war unfold. We're watching it in real time. We're seeing the the bodies of the women and and children and the the elderly, and we're seeing the mutilations. We're seeing all those things that would fall into the category of war crime, but we're also seeing them targeting things like hospitals and, and, and facilities that are, are not allowed to be targeted in wartime according to international law. And uh, so there's no question that there, this is a, these are war crimes. I uh, actually was involved in uh, chasing war criminals after the Balkans War back in 1997 and 98. I ran a task force out of Sarajevo that uh, went after war criminals. And, and we saw the same atrocities we saw a lot of the same stuff that happened during that war, and those people were all uh, investigated and ultimately put on a list to be captured and taken to The Hague for trial. 161 people, war criminals, were ultimately captured, taken to The Hague, and prosecuted and punished in one way or another. Well, we certainly pray that will happen in this case because the world does watch in horror as horrible things are done. But, General, I want to change the topic a little bit on you because Secretary Austin, in addition to talking about Ukraine, he took a question 
about a study that is apparently looking into non-binary people joining the military. Let's play clip two. There was a report that said the Department of Defense is studying the issue of allowing gender non-binary people to serve in the military. Is that true? I am uh, supportive of allowing any uh, person that's eligible and can meet the qualifications to serve their country. General, what's your reaction to that? This is the same guy that just uh, earlier, I think it was earlier this week, uh, indignantly responded to a question by a member of Congress about the military being woke and said, no, they're not woke. Well, what else can you say? What else can you say about that? This whole idea of having non-binary people um, serving in the military means that we're going to have people that are confused about their their gender. I mean, really? You stop and think about how does that contribute to readiness? How does that help make the military more capable of winning the nation's wars? And Joseph, our military has two missions. One is to deter war, but the other is to win war. And you show me how this uh, contributes to their ability to do that, and I'll support it. But you can't. You can't show me how this, a decision like this, is contributing to the readiness of our military. General Boykin, thank you so much for your time. I think a lot of Americans are also wondering what in the world is non-binary. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Joseph. Coming up next, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra had some interesting exchanges with members of Congress. Partial birth abortion, sex changes for children. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Parents, what are you teaching your children about friendship? Listen to Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Mm -hmm. Choosing friends wisely is very important. Have you surrounded your family with healthy friendships? Peer pressure is strong and friends are influential. They can be a good part of life or not. Teach your children that a good friend is a treasure, but that Jesus is the best friend you can ever have. He will never betray you, discourage you, or lead you to do anything harmful. He's dependable in every way. He is the perfect friend. 
Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Well, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra appeared before Congress this week, and his testimony served as a microcosm for the Biden administration's priorities. He refused to say whether partial birth abortions are illegal. He declined to answer whether bodily mutilation of children for gender-affirming surgery constitutes child abuse. And he couldn't give a number for what level of illegal immigration he deemed to be appropriate. Joining me now to discuss his thoughts on this testimony and more is Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Committee on Education and Labor, the House Budget Committee, and he represents the 5th District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Well, we're thankful to have you. Now, I want to dissect uh, Javier Becerra's visit to Capitol Hill a little bit with you. Get your thoughts on this. We can reflect on what this means for the Biden administration and really the direction of the country. And I want to play a clip from uh, his... uh, We're going to play clip four yesterday in an exchange he had in this committee. Let's go ahead and play that. Is it child abuse to perform a sex change operation on a 12-year-old girl? Yes or no? I'm not going down that rat hole with you. Congressman Good, what's your reaction to that? This is typical of the Biden administration and the members of his cabinet, where they don't want to tell the American people what they really believe. On the one hand, they want to deceive and and hide from what their true intentions are, what their true beliefs and motivations are. At the same time, they're beholden to their radical, the most radical, most extreme element of the Democrat Party, where they can't even come out and, and acknowledge any basic truths or any basic uh, restrictions on the extremism of their beliefs. So just to think of that right there, that, that we would even have a discussion or there'd be any disagreement about the abusive, inexcusable, egregious nature of those who would would, would, would facilitate, help, authorize uh, the, the, the mutilation, the mutilation of the precious bodies, the way that God created these precious young children, and would not resoundingly condemn that. And of course, declare for what it is, it is all obviously child abuse. Congressman, do you think that their reluctance to answer questions about this issue in particular is because they know Americans disagree with them? They know that Americans, uh, by and large, you know, whatever, 90 percent of the country does disagree with the extremism 
of what the left has become on the transgender, sexual identity, sexual orientation issue. You know, things that were predicted when I was a kid uh, 40 and 50 years ago about where the radical gay agenda, what it would lead to with the redefinition of sex, redefinition of gender, with the uh, continual moving of the goalposts on morality. The left will never be appeased, never be satisfied until absolute total immorality is embraced and celebrated in this country. While we can recognize in a free country, in a, in a country like ours, where adults have the right to make poor moral decisions that affect only them and that the force of law shouldn't be applied to, to, to force morality upon them. We don't have to celebrate it, embrace it and, and as a nation and as a people. We still retain our freedoms to believe, to, uh, as we do, to stand on Judeo-Christian principles, to stand on biblical morality, how God knows best for the family. God knows best for morality. God makes no mistakes. We respect the true science of, of gender. And when a child, Joseph, I said this in the very same hearing yesterday that I was there with, with Representative Miller. We need to speak truth that God created two genders, God makes no mistakes, and that when a child is confused about that, we need to help them realize how God has made them. And as you know, study after study demonstrates and experience demonstrates most children will come around and understand how, how God made them and who they are. And the worst thing we can do is to reinforce that confusion and worse yet, deceive the parents about it. And even the, the worst of all, to help a child with, with hormones or surgery, uh, irreparable harm that we would do to them emotionally, uh, psychologically, physically, and spiritually to that effect. Now, in addition to sex change operations, Secretary Bracero was also asked about abortion and specifically taxpayer funding of abortion. Let's play clip five. Do you concede that partial birth abortion is illegal per the law? Under the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade, women have reproductive rights that they are entitled to enforce and that they are entitled to have the government respect. I will do everything I can to make sure a woman's rights uh, in reproductive care are defended. And that question was asked by your colleague, Congressman Banks, on that committee as well. What's your reaction to Becerra's response? I appreciate my good friend Jim Banks pushing him on, pressing him on that issue to expose just how extreme the Democrat Party has become. You know, 20, 30 years ago, you had those even like this president who, who claimed to be uh, to, to believe in some restrictions on abortion, and uh, and, and it, certainly from a federal funding standpoint, at least. Uh, but now they, the Democrat Party is totally radical on the issue. They believe in abortion on demand for any reason at any moment, up until and even perhaps beyond the moment of birth, and that everyone ought to be be forced to pay for it through their tax dollars. And and, and Chairman, or excuse me, Congressman Banks' uh, questions yesterday proved that they're not even willing to say that the practice of of, of, of partial birth abortion uh, or, or, or any kind of late-term abortion uh, should be illegal or is illegal in our country in any state. That They don't want any limits on abortion. Uh, and I was speaking to, to my staff yesterday just talking about the fact we need to be more outspoken and bold and do a special order on the House floor describing what is the barbaric, gruesome process of abortion, whether it's saline injections, whether it's when they pierce the, the, the baby's skull and suck the brains out, or whether they tear a child limb from limb within its mother's womb. There's nothing humane or compassionate or benign about it. It's a terrible, vicious procedure, and we need to speak truth. We have a unique opportunity here to influence the Supreme Court, and the country, I think, is ready for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. 
I think you're exactly right about that. And the facts and the truth really is on our side. And we need to we need to wield the facts with confidence and authority because it really is moving America our direction. Now we have just under a minute left. But quickly on Title 42, a policy put in place to stop illegal immigration, specifically in the era of COVID. The Biden administration plans to revoke it. What's your reaction to that? This president inherited a secure border, a largely secure border, an increasingly secure border from the previous president. And all he had to do was to keep, maintain, and build upon the policies that President Trump had had. Remain in Mexico, ending uh, uh, catch and release, building the wall, securing the border. And of course, Title 42 was part of that under the China virus uh, situation that arose. And this president has stopped uh, enforcing our laws, of course, has stopped building the wall, eliminated remain in Mexico, and now wants to eliminate Title 42. And it's estimated, Joseph, that'll take the daily count from 7,000 to 18,000, and we may have as many as 500,000 illegal aliens across our border. Unfortunately, I got to cut you off. We are out of time, but thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much. Stay with us. Ads that got banned for being misinformation that we now know are true when we come back. Millions of persecuted believers, they're suffering, and they can use your prayers and financial support right now. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International in the country of Zambia, the place where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church. He had word that there was an attack coming one Sunday, and sure enough, 20 radicals showed up in attempt to kill all the Christians gathered for worship in that service, about 200 in number. Now, in self-defense, Shadrach had a handgun. He used it on a man named Ishmael, didn't kill him, but he injured him, but nursed him back. He was a livestock farmer, so he took care of the man's livestock. The daughter of that man could not read, could not write, so Shadrach would teach her to read and write using a Bible League program. And I can tell you, in grateful response, the entire family and 80 former radicals have come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They need Bibles at $5 a Bible. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. In 2020, the American Principles Project produced commercials highlighting President Biden's extremism on transgender issues with a particular focus on sex changes for minors and men competing in women's sports. Here's one of them. 
Sex changes for kids? Most Americans say that's going way too far, but not Joe Biden. An eight-year-old child decides, I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. Should eight-year-olds really be subjected to dangerous, life-altering medical procedures? Puberty-blocking drugs, transgender surgeries, and hormones cause permanent damage to children. If Joe Biden is willing to endorse sex changes for second graders, what won't he support? Vote against Joe Biden, a pawn of the extreme left. That ad was given a rating of false by PolitiFact and called, quote, way too far. That ad and others were pulled and deplatformed. Talking about the same subject, here's what President Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki, had to say about it yesterday. Every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming health care for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life-saving. What's going on here? Joining me now to talk about it is one of the creators of the ad, John Schweppe, Director of Policy and Government Affairs for the American Principles Project. John, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Joseph. It's good to see you. Now, what is your reaction to how this is developing? You had your ad pulled down, was accused of being misinformation and false to say that the Biden administration supports sex changes for minors. Now the Biden administration says... They support sex changes for minors. How do you interpret all this? Yeah, well, you know, we knew at the time we were telling the truth. We don't run ads that are false or conjecture. Uh, We were based on, those ads were based on statements Joe Biden had made uh, and that the left had advocated for. But uh, Big Tech at the time censored those ads, said we couldn't run them. We were prevented from uh, getting those messages to voters before the 2020 election. Uh, by the platforms. And, and yeah, as we've seen, you know, day one of, of his presidency, Joe Biden went after women's sports, uh, allowing males to compete. And now his press secretary is out there saying everything we said in that ad. Um, and, and yesterday, you know, she even outlined uh, what she meant by, uh, quote, gender affirming care. She talked about how she met hormones, uh, she meant puberty blockers, and she meant surgeries. Yeah, she right. said the word surgeries. So everything in that ad turned out to be true, um, but our oligarchs in this country uh, won't let us message on that anymore, and it really makes you kind of question uh, whether we're still living in a democracy when that's the case. But yeah. you know, on this issue itself, Joseph, I think this is the fight now. I mean, this is really where we're at. Uh, are we going to let our kids be... Um, experimented on and and really have their lives destroyed. And this is what the left wants to do. Was candidate Biden as open in his support for sex change operations as President Biden is now? Yes. Uh, So that that clip actually was from a debate. And, you know, he's kind of awkwardly looking up because uh, the question was coming from a parent of a transgender child. And, you know, the parent, we looked her up. She was an activist for one of these far left transgender groups. And she was asking him, you know, how far will you go on this? And he gave her an affirmative answer that absolutely, you know, I want to give access to all sorts of things for transgender uh, youth. And so that that's been their argument. They haven't really hidden this. Uh, you might recall Rachel Levine, now the uh, Assistant Secretary of Health at the Health and Human Services. Uh, Rachel, uh, who is a transgender uh, individual, uh, has been advocating for sex changes for kids as well. And we had to bring attention to that last year uh, with the help of FRC and other groups. So uh, this is just kind of the reality. I don't think our media friends or any of these folks want to admit it yet. 
And it's going to be on Republican elected officials to really drive this home and, and hold these Democrats accountable for such an insane position that, you know, 80 percent of the country thinks is wrong. Talking to John Schweppe from the American Principles Project. And the ad was given a label of false by, Politica, by PolitiFact, which is uh, a fact checker if there's things really exist, but people who consider themselves to be the, the arbiters of reality, they describe that as false. Did they explain to you why? No, no. Actually, this happened to us on the women's sports ad, on this ad. Uh, they never feel like they owe us any sort of explanation as to the truth. The reality here is they're not fact-checking. Uh, what they're doing is they're using their authority as a credible institution uh, to, you know, basically carry out the Democrats' uh, desire to censor opposing viewpoints. And so uh, Facebook, unfortunately, you know, I know Mark Zuckerberg has said some nice things in the past about free expression, but Facebook has empowered these fact checkers and they, they come up with these, uh, you know, kind of ridiculous uh, ratings, always, you know, targeting conservatives. And then Facebook carries out the ban and, and suppresses the ads. And, you know, we saw this in 2020. And again, when you look at the election, you know, a lot of people talk about the potential election fraud. And I think that's an interesting topic. But 44,000 votes uh, was the difference in three states between uh, Joe Biden winning and Donald Trump winning. Big tech censorship alone uh, must have made the difference there, especially when you you know, look into what they did with the Hunter Biden story at the New York Post and censoring all of these ads. There's no question that that was yeah. the difference. And you have to wonder, is that is that acceptable in a country that prides itself on, on free and fair elections? John, you make a really good point. And the Hunter Biden story analogy makes itself, in this case, another situation where they just misrepresent the actual facts long enough to accomplish their political objective and then apologize or don't for lying to people. And in this case, it's like, well, he got elected. And I guess uh, mission accomplished, even if we just took down all the, good, all the correct information in order to make that happen. But we appreciate your vigilance for truth. The American public is with us, and truth will win in the end. Thanks so much for your time as well. Hey, thanks for having me, Joseph. Stay with us. A tragic story coming up next out of Washington, D.C. Abortion or infanticide? We'll tell you about it when we come back. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. And tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you as an individual can do to help, go to frc.org irf. That's frc.org slash IRF. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. 
Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. I was injured at work in March of 2020, and I thought it was the worst thing that happened to me. And in that time being home, I discovered AFR, and I am so grateful for all your hard work that you do there. God is using American Family Radio to impact America. Thank you, and God bless you. You'll have an opportunity to help us continue to make a difference during our Spring Sharathon, April 19th, 20th, and 21st. Join us. Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Imagine a giant dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and uh, there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up and they push up against that dam. Then they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture. We're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse. But we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual silos and wait for the end to come. A reminder from American Family Radio. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. A reminder that you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com on demand. Harrowing details continue to emerge from this potential case of infanticide in the nation's capital, where the bodies of five fully formed babies were recently recovered. This situation continues to demonstrate the need for passing the Born Alive Protection Act, and it also calls into question the lack of interest in enforcing the current laws. Nancy Pelosi and the abortion industry advocates in Congress continue to tell us this bill is not necessary because these deaths never happen. But what we clearly see is that these deaths do happen. Joining me now is Mary Zock, the director of the Center for Human Dignity here at FRC. Mary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me, Joseph. Now, Mary, some people undoubtedly are not familiar with this story. Tell us the latest. What do we know? The remains of five unborn children were recovered from Cesare Santangelo's abortion clinic, Washington Surgery Center, that's just four blocks from the White House in Washington, D.C., So far, the D.C. medical examiner has refused to do an autopsy to determine how these unborn babies died or were killed. Uh, Multiple physicians have suggested that the evidence points to the possibility that these unborn children were killed through partial birth abortion, infanticide, or born alive and simply left to die. As you said, Joseph, it underscores the need for the Born Alive Protection Act. Yeah. Mary, is what is is alleged to have been done here, what appears to be done from what we do know, is it criminal? Currently, partial birth abortion is a federal crime. So um, that if, if it is determined that the unborn children were killed through a partial birth abortion, that would be a crime. Unfortunately, under the current Born Alive 
Infant Protection Act, it is not criminal to not administer uh, medical attention to an unborn child. That is not required. The current law as it stands only gives an unborn child who is born after an abortion the full rights of a person under the law. But it does nothing to ensure that that person receives medical attention, which, which tells us that we need to pass another piece of federal legislation, the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act, which would protect all babies who survive abortion and require that they be administered medical attention. Now, Mary, is it true that the opponents of the Born Alive uh, Protection Act claim it's not necessary? And does the situation here in Washington, D.C. prove that it is? They absolutely do. They say this never happens. Babies are never born alive after abortion. And then even if they are, they're never not given medical attention. Well, there are only nine states that require reporting on what happens to an infant born alive after an abortion. Only nine. And, and knowing that, we know that as of 2020, there were over 200 babies who have been born alive after an abortion. Um, and, and that's with just nine reporting. We can't imagine what it would be with 50. But, but what we have in D.C. is, is clear evidence that, that this may be happening, that we, we have seen, you know, one of these unborn babies was born completely contained within the amniotic sac, sac which leads to multiple questions as to how that that little child was was born and and how that little child died. Now, Mary, you mentioned previously that so far the D.C. medical examiner is refusing to do an autopsy. It's just one of the troubling things in this story about the responses from the authorities. In addition, in 2013, the department headed George Washington University Hospital filed a complaint against this doctor, Dr. Santangelo, because of what the report said was, quote, bad outcomes related to an abortion. Now, of course, all abortions have bad outcomes. But the D.C., in that case, the D.C. Department of Health Board of Medicine gave Dr. Santangelo some recommendations, but nothing more. Seems like they were very lenient when they became aware of harm that he was inflicting, not just on the babies he was killing, but on the mothers who were receiving the abortion. Unwillingness to do a an autopsy in this case, uh, really very little oversight over a doctor who it clearly, sh- the evidence clearly shows, needs some oversight why are the authorities in general so lax or even indifferent to this issue? Well, Joseph, if, if you read the entirety of that report, what, what it says is that they were reluctant to do anything further because Santangelo was, quote, the go-to for the challenging cases. And, and, and he is seen as the go-to, especially for poor women, um, which, which makes us think so much of, of Kermit Gosnell and what he did. And, and the tragedy that happened in Philadelphia. That same tragedy is occurring here in Washington, D.C. These five unborn babies have, have brought, brought the reality of abortion to light. And that reality is that every single abortion, no matter at what stage in pregnancy it's performed, takes the life of a beautiful unborn child. Mary, do you think stories like these, and, and we don't have them here, but you can find the pictures of these children online graphically detailing the reality of what abortion in America looks like. And these 
These are not these are not cells. These are not embryos. These are babies, and it's undeniable. And as America sees that, despite the very real efforts to suppress that, and that's been a theme of the show today, is how much effort there is to suppress information that is inconvenient. Do you think these stories help change the temperature, help change the hearts of Americans on this issue? I certainly hope so, Joseph. I don't think anyone could look at the pictures of those five unborn babies and think that abortion just removes a clump of cells. There's there's no way to see those little ones. My, the, the, the first little baby pictured, I think, looked very similar to my little boy, Joseph, right after he was born. Um, it's, it's heart-wrenching, and it reveals exactly what happens in, in, in abortion. Here in America, abortion is legal up until the moment of birth. Um, and, and if the reality of what it does isn't changing hearts and minds, I, I don't know anything else that would. Mary, one final question for you. We are all looking forward to the re- decision from the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case. We are hoping and we are praying, uh, very sincerely praying, that this decision will ultimately overturn Roe versus Wade. If that is the result, will that prevent situations like this from occurring? Unfortunately, in the District of Columbia, if if Dobbs simply overturns Roe and sends the ruling on abortion back to the states, or in this case, to the city council, unfortunately, in the district, it won't. Um, abortion will still be legal. Um, but what we need to do is we need to work at, at the state level to pass legislation that protects unborn children in the womb. It, here in the district, people need to run for their ANC chair for city council. We need to oppose these radical far left, far left progressive, quote unquote progressives who, who believe that they are, in fact, the ones who get to decide who lives and dies. And I think to this point, even people on the left, there are a lot of people of goodwill who disagree with us politically on a lot of things, and they see a baby who got killed in a quote-unquote doctor's office. That bothers them, and we need to make sure we're bringing them over to help in these efforts. Mary Zock, thank you for your help today. Thanks so much for having me, Joseph. Coming up next, this past Wednesday, the Legacy Media's paper of record The New York Times published a column titled The Growing Religious Fervor in American Right, in the American Right. This is a Jesus movement. Now, the column was eyebrow raising for its apparent contempt for Bible believing Christians, but it also raised some interesting questions. What, if any place, does religious practice like singing worship songs or prayer have during political rallies and events? Are political events becoming too Christian, or are Christian events becoming too political? Helping me now, joining me now to have this conversation is my colleague David Clausen, who's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. David, good to see you. Good to be with you. Happy Friday, Joseph. Happy Friday to you. Now, this article in the New York Times, it makes an observation, one, that I certainly agree with. And in the last several years, I do feel like there has been a a change in sorts where we see more overt religious messaging at political events, particularly on the right that I'm, that I think I'm thinking about because the lefts are still pretty secular. Um, But does this mean 
Christianity is being overtaken by politics, or are political movements just becoming more Christian? What do you think? It's an interesting question, Joseph, and I think you're right that this article raises those questions. So I I found the article interesting. I I did uh, find it somewhat predictable. Uh, It's written, you know, it's placed in the New York Times, so there's a lot of things uh, that it says that, uh, you know, again, I predicted. Um, As far as the, the, I think, the author's main um, argument that, that they're making is this idea that evangelical Christians who are engaging in politics are somehow uniquely threatening or are uniquely troublesome. And so I think my first take, Joseph, of this article, because uh, it, 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 it details some things, it, it details some events and some things that different pastors and religious leaders say that I might not say, uh, but I, I think the main thing that we need to take away from this article is this, to me, and I think it does bring up some deeper questions that we can talk about, but it does seem to kind of cast doubt on the intentions and motivations of people like you and me, sage cons, uh, spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives who engage in the political process. David, let me read one quote from this article and then give you a chance to respond to it. The The author says, at events across the United States, It is not unusual for participants to describe encountering the divine and feel they are doing their part to install God's kingdom on earth. For them, right-wing political activity itself is becoming a holy act, end quote. Now, what's your reaction to this? Is it wrong to believe that political engagement is a holy act? I don't necessarily think it's wrong, Joseph, because as Christians, you know, we're to be Christians in all areas of our life. Uh, the, the Bible, the New Testament, Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he calls us to be light and salt. And so, you know, the idea that we should be good Christians on Sunday morning within the four walls of our church, and then we kind of, when we pull off the parking lot of our churches, we kind of engage as, you know, back into the secular world, that's not at all what the Christian faith is. The Christian faith is a holistic faith. And so I think, you know, again, taking the cues from those in Scripture, uh, those in Scripture engaged in the civil government. And so it's interesting. I think, Joseph, you and I were talking about this briefly the other day. I think what really troubles these authors is this picture of people at political rallies praying or singing But what's interesting, Joseph, whenever Christians get together, wherever they get together, we pray and we worship together. And so I don't think it's fair to kind of suggest, you know, that this is some sort of especially nefarious uh, movement that's afoot within Christian circles. Do you think images of people praying in, let's say, a Trump shirt or a Biden shirt, is that proof of idolatry? I th- not necessarily. Now, I think that there are those on the right and those on the left that can put way too much into politics. Uh, I think that's almost without, you know, yeah. we, uh, without doubt that there are people on both sides of the political aisle that invest everything they have into a political cause or a political movement. Um, we need to be against that. We, we, we always need to make sure that our, our righteous concern for important issues, you just in the previous segment, the, the abortion issue, the life issue, that's a righteous concern that we need to be engaged in. Yeah. Uh, we always need to be making sure that you know the, the, the ultimate allegiance that we owe, which is to God alone, uh, is never given to something else. 
But just the fact that someone supports President Biden or for, supports President Trump and prays and worships and attends church, that doesn't mean that we should look especially suspicious at them, which is what this article seems to suggest for Christians on the right. David, but I do think it is true that idolatry does happen in the political process. How do we know if our political interests have become an idol in about 30 seconds? No, no, I agree. I think it absolutely does. We need to guard against it. And I think our chief love, our chief passion, our chief commitment needs to be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that commitment will work itself out into every other part of our lives. And so, again, if our chief love, our chief passion is something other than God, that's a red flag. And we need to correct that and make sure we have rightly ordered loves in our life. That's exactly right. And unless we think uh, political idolatry is only a threat on the right, I'd like to point out that on the Transgender Day of Visibility, which happened this week, a Presbyterian church in Iowa offered a prayer to, quote, the God of pronouns, the great they, them, and then referred to that God of pronouns as one who breastfeeds. So this is a bipartisan concern. David Clausen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. Have a good weekend. Great to see you. And friends, keep in mind, as we, as we talk about the bipartisan issues, the bipartisan concerns that we have with idolatry in politics, there's been another theme throughout the day is the lack of interest. And we, and we see in that the story that we covered about the Biden, about ads being pulled down because they didn't like what they were saying, even though it was exactly what the Biden administration said. There's this theme, we're going to suppress truth until it becomes convenient for us to tell the truth, until it's no longer risky for us. Keep in mind, be wise, be observers, have a great weekend. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.